Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Greg, and Greg was a scapegoat for his narcissistic mother. It's a story of shame, guilt, abuse cycles, and going no contact for good. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, and this is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. Now, if you have not been to our website recently at NarcissistApocalypse.com and you want to be a guest on our show, go there and go to the top of the page where it says guest form. Click on that button, fill out the form, and away we will go from there. But another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode, where you will also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the side of the page, there's a floating button that says Send Voicemail. You press that button, records up to five minutes, press it twice, records up to ten We are accumulating these letters for a volume six of that episode, our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal Melissa to read the letter for you, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put Letters to My Narcissist in the subject line. And before we get started today... I just want to tell you that if you want to support our show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. You'll hear episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, and much more. What is that much more? Well, we have online virtual support groups that we do on Zoom every Wednesday and Saturday. Plus, we have our own support forums and message board. So if you want to support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. And last thing before we get our episode started here with Greg, 
there were some sound problems. I say that a lot. There were some sound problems uh, with this episode. I did my best to get all the pops and hisses out. Sometimes when we use uh, cell phones, uh, you, you can't hear a lot of the, the little static, and, and it popped up there during editing. So I did my best to get as much of it out as I could. And uh, this is a really interesting episode. Uh, Greg went through a lot. There's physical abuse. There's emotional abuse. And he's found his way to the other side. So I just want to found... Sorry, I just want to thank Greg for being part of the show and for being an inspiration. And without further ado, here is my episode with Greg. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Greg. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Brandon. How are you? I am doing well. And today we're really going to hear a story of your life because you know, your issue started off with uh, narcissistic uh, family members, and that has shaped your relationships kind of going forward. And you really didn't understand or realize any of this until recently. And so it's a kind of a coming of age, coming of age, understanding something like that, narcissism, yeah. narcissistic abuse. Uh, kind of story. So uh, thank you for, for being here and sharing your story uh, with us. And without further ado, Greg, the floor is now yours. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. I so appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a coming of age story, really. I mean, it's... Um, well, we'll just start at the beginning. I mean, we'll just start back at the beginning. I, you know, I... I guess, um, and I'll preface this by saying as well, like my, you know, my, um, as we talked about a little bit before this, I, I didn't realize, I guess, what I had been dealing with most of my life. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm in my thirties now and, um, over the past probably seven to eight months was when I finally realized my entire life, my entire life is completely different now. I'm in the same physical place that I've always been, but everything around me is so different. That's how life-changing this realization has become. So um, we'll just, ha yeah, we'll start at the beginning. I, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, in a nice, in a nice area, you know, I, 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 I really, and I still live in that area now, but a little different part of the area, but just a great area. And in this area, um, where this all starts is I went to um, a Catholic grade school. And um, so I, I didn't go to, um, to public schools. I wound up going to Catholic school where, you know, a lot of, of things were taught there, um, you know. And, and so um, one of the things that the school was always very big on was, you know, loving everyone and the love. And so when I went to school, I always definitely felt love. But there was always something about my home life that always felt funny to me. And I just am realizing that, you know, like I said, over the past probably half of a year, even almost to one year ago. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, to start, I, I, you know, I would be a, my earliest recollection is being just a young, young kid and, um, you know, I would go I would go off to school and the bus drivers, like even the bus drivers would they, you know, they would talk to me and they would, they would, they would comment on how, how, you know, how cute I was or how, you know, something like that or what I was wearing. And it just always made me feel so good. Like I, like I was valid, like I was validated, you know, like I meant something. And, 
Um, but the difference was when I would go home, things were very different. So my mom and, and you know, I, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my mom and my dad had me and they were probably in their late twenties. And, um, you know, I, I was the first child of two and I, you know, I started to grow up and, um, as I was going to school, um, well, before I would go to school, you know, my mother would, you know, cry, she would cry before I would get on the bus. I remember her early, the earliest recollection is her crying constantly. Like my baby's going, which I know is, you know, can be typical of what, of what parents might say, but you know, it was always a cry. It was always cry. It was, she felt so bad. So I always thought to myself that was, that was strange. And it happened all the time, tons, tons of crying. And so I would like be sad when I left to go to school, but when I would get to school, I would feel so good, you know? So when I would, when I came home, you know, as I said, I grew up in a nice town. It's a little suburb. And, um, you know, I would go out and play with friends, but when I would be playing with friends, I would feel good. And then I would go home and I wouldn't feel good. So I'll just kind of give some, some early examples. I, I was never a big, like I, I was, I was always an obedient child. I did what I was told. I followed the rules. You know, I never got in my entire life, in my entire life. And this, this will mean something as, as I get a little bit older too. In my entire life, I never was given like detention and I'm not suggesting that people, you know, I mean, people who get detention are bad people. You know, I'm certainly not suggesting that at all, but I never was corrected. I always followed the rules. I never got in trouble, but when I got home, and if I had even a B or a C in school, the, the, the repercussions were bad. I mean, they were tough. Um, I, I always obeyed rules. And so um, my, my childhood was always focused on what I could, how I could be better. You know, um, I, my mom would start, as from an early age, she would start to say things to me like, you know, you're, you're, you're certainly not the son I ever wanted. And at first, I would think like, well, what the what the fuck are you saying? I'm gonna swear. I'm a swearer, by the way, so I'm gonna swear. That's okay. <laughs> but but um, I used to think, you know, what what am I? What are like? What are you? I would go to school. I would feel so good about everything. Even like I said, from the bus ride, from feeling sad. But when I'd be on that bus, I would feel better. And then from being in my school and my teachers and everybody at that school, they were they were legends. They were phenomenal people. I loved it. I loved it. And, but then I would hear that from her. And so I couldn't understand why that was happening early, early on. So, so, so that started to continue and it continued in phases with examples like this. I'd be watching TV. Like I was a big fan of Nickelodeon or, you know, when that was the big deal, you know, in the nineties, I was a Nickelodeon kid. I was always watching TV. I was always, you know, and my mother used to be like, what are you watching that degenerate shit for? How dare you think that that's what kids are really like? And I thought to myself, no, this really is what kids are like. I would go to school and feel that. But at home, I would never feel that way. And um, it would just continue. So it would continue with those little bits of, I guess, quip, little quip, little tiny hints. My dad really wasn't in the picture as much when I was younger. He kind of was working a lot. And so I never really got to form a, a relationship. Some of the, both of my parents are narcissistic. My dad, um, my dad passed away a long time ago and I'll get to that, but they, um, you know, we used to own video games. You know, I got a video game system and if, even if I made the slightest mistake on a video game, 
my mother would come in the room and she would be like, see, you can't even kill that such and such person or see, you can't even get that. And I, I began, to, began to think that what was happening at school was because the school personnel were told to put on, like they were told to treat everybody a certain way. And the reality was me being at home because it was my parents. I trusted my parents. You know, how, how would you not trust your parents as a kid? And you, you're just looking for love. And, and, and I guess this is a precursor to what I found out later was completely the opposite of what a normal, I guess, a normal childhood, if there even is one, would be. And so um, the, one of the earliest, earliest big memories, specific memories was, um, you know, there was this kid who um, he was, I was probably in like fourth grade and he, um, he pushed me in, in gym class because I started to realize I was good at kickball and I was good at baseball. So he pushed me and I tried to defend myself. So I like got up and tried to defend myself. And then I like got up to stand up to him and started to like defend myself. I didn't physically push him back or do anything. But the but I started to like get loud, and then the teacher came to me, and she was like, "You guys can't act like this," because I was vo- like vocal, and he was he was not very vocal. He just shoved me, and the teacher didn't see all that, so so she whatever she kind of blamed me for it. But the bigger part was that she had called my mom. She threatened that she was going to send me home with this pink slip, and then she called my mom. So anyway, when I got home, I mean. It like it was as though when I opened that door, the rage. I mean, it was just her. You could see it in her eyes. She looked at me. We had a we had a garage, so we came in through the garage, and you, we went in the door. And I could see the rage. And she was like, "So and so teacher called me, and I want to know why you would mouth off to this other boy." And I was like, "Let me try to you know." And here I am, like fourth grade or fifth grade, and I remember this so vividly. I'm like, "Mom, let me explain to you." I'm I'm doing well at kickball. She's like, you'll never be good at kickball. You will never be good at kickball. You will never be good at baseball. Don't you understand? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she was, and so she got the wooden spoon. My mom is very Italian and my whole family is got the wooden spoon out. And in, you know, a lot of Italian mothers like to get that wooden spoon. And I mean, I got, and I'm not talking about a, a smack. I'm talking about, heavy, heavy hitting, bleeding to bleed to the point of bleeding to the point of not being able to stand up. I mean, it was, it was my first experience of really being, you know, abused as a child, all because I was at school and had this kid push me. So that was like the first instance of experiencing her absolute like rage. Um, So then what would happen is she would come back and she would say, you know, I should have never had you, you know, and you owe me the behavior. You, you owe me your behavior in school is, is something that's a reflection of me. And I believed her. I definitely believed her. She's like, I'm raising you to be this, this young man who's going to grow up and you're going to have children. You're going to get married. And, uh, and, and let me also say this. I'm a gay male. So through that, I'm trying to figure out my sexuality as I'm getting older. And so that was big shaming as well, because, you know, I may have shown some signs or said some things that may have been effeminate, I guess. 
and it's, you know, that would be, that would be a big problem for her, but it was always a lot of, a lot of shaming. That was my first. The second instance that I remember was we, I, I was, so I was a bowler as well. I, 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 I bowled. Um, so I was, we were at a bowling alley and she was there and now I'm starting to get a little bit older. I'm probably in like almost a junior high by now. And she's, um, you know, she's behind me and I'm bowling. And this other kid had come up to me and he, um, I had beat him in bowling. And this kid, funny, the second kid who did this was friends with the first kid from years ago. They were friends. But this second kid came up to me and he kind of shoved me into a um, into like this cigarette machine at the bowling alley. And my mom was there and she's like, hey, get off of him. You know, so this kid come, he backs away and she walks up to me and she pulls me. My mom pulls me by the shirt and she pulls me in towards her. And again, the second bit of rage, she just looked at me and she's like, don't you ever think that you could beat somebody else and there won't be repercussions. Don't you ever think that. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm learning some like tough life lessons here from her. Like I need to be, I need to do better. So it was from that point on that I started to change and feel like I needed to do better by her. Now, the same point, my dad now has lost his job. My dad was in insurance and did all kinds of things in the past with, with money and he had lost his job. So now he's home more. So my dad starts to build his own home office home um, home business, I guess. And so now I'm getting a little older. So where I live, there was there used to be this a re- a regional amusement park nearby, and we used to go there a lot. And one of the things my mom used to do was her and her sister, my aunt, um, and myself and my younger brother and our my cousins, we would go to this regional amusement park in the summer times. And I'm going to tell you something. It was probably... I mentioned Nickelodeon being able to watch that and being, you know, like being a kid again, going to this regional amusement park felt the same way. Right. So I would go there and I would feel like I am, I felt like free. I felt like, Oh my God, I love roller coaster. Like I felt, you know, you feel something inside of you that, you know, and even I'm young, I'm probably, you know, like, again, I'm getting close to junior high. So I'm probably like 11, 12, 13 years old by, by now. And my, my inner self is like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. I love being outside. I love these rides. I love everything about this. And one day, so my mom had a rule. She always said, because we had to follow lots of rules, you know, and if we didn't follow those rules and she looked bad in any way, shape, or form, we were in big trouble. And I mean we, meaning me and my brother. Now, my brother was younger than me, seven years younger. So um, usually I was the scapegoat. I was the one who always got in trouble, even if he had done something. But we were at this park and they had just put in this big new attraction. And so everyone was going to this big new attraction. It was a water attraction. And so I'm like, I can't wait to go to this. And I want, and I go to take my shirt off because I'm getting ready to put sunscreen on. And my mom gets out her bag. So we, Oh, let me back up. We had this rule. I mentioned we had a rule. We had a rule. We had to eat. We always had to eat first. So we would go in, we would take this picnic basket in and we would eat. And so we'd be eating, and then the rule was, if you don't eat, you couldn't do anything else for the whole day. You just had to stand around and walk around. So I, you know, we ate, and then, you know, we would do some other things, and I wanted to go on this, to do this new attraction, and she was like, you know, she was like, it is not time for that new attraction, because my mom had a certain way she had to position herself so that 
everyone around her that was at this regional amusement park would know that she's there. So she had to position herself to be in these specific spots. And it was a small place, so it was like people knew each other, right? So she had to position herself to know that she could go in these specific circles. But I wanted to go to this new attraction, and that was not on her agenda, nor my aunt's agenda. So um, as soon as I took my shirt off, she grabbed me by my, no- my nostrils, grabbed me by my nostrils, pulled me towards her, and she, like, started to hit me right there in front of everybody. And she says to the people around her, she's like, do you see, do you see what my son wants to do? My son thinks that this such and such new attraction is where we're going to go right now. And that is not what's going to happen. She goes, you need sunblock. Don't you know I raised you to know that the sun is dangerous? And so these people around her were like supporting this. And I was just there like, what the hell just happened? I just wanted to go in this water. And so she gets her sunblock out and she starts putting the sunblock on me, but she did it in such an abrasive way. So like she would take the sunblock, squirt it in her hand, slap it on my back, slap it on my shoulders, slap it on the back of my neck, slap it on my stomach and then rub. And then as she's doing that, she would say things again, like, you don't know how lucky you are. I bring you here. You don't know what I've sacrificed to get you here. You don't understand how, Lucky you have it. You see all these other degenerate kids around here. My dad would say that too about degenerate. They would use that term a lot. Um, you see, we're, we're giving, your father and I are giving you a good life. We're here at such and such place, and you have the audacity to want to go out of order or whatever the case was. So that was like the second bit of like big rage that I had seen from her. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Can I ask you a question? So now, sure, yeah. So... This theme park, or not theme park, this regional park, and it yeah. se- there seems like all of the parents are going there, and there's grandstanding of some sort going on. What's everyone's purpose? Like, what's with, I guess, the whole adult community here? Um, what are they, in your mind, what are they all trying to prove? Like, who is... Uh, the better parent, or like what is what? What's the everyone's mo in this little you know place? Uh, and you guys are just the uh, little are you guys pawns in this? Um, I don't know what, what it would it be like uh, in their uh, showboating of some sort. Yeah. So you got you nailed it, and I mean you nailed it. That's exactly what it was. This. This local place, okay, so it was big enough so that you won't know every single person. You know people. But the thing was is that my mom and aunt planned it so that when they were, there was always the same groups of people going at this, on the same day. The same, I didn't realize this till later in life. But we would always go on the same, there would always be this group of people, this, group, this big group that would kind of be there always at the same time. So it was like, and everybody followed this structure. So it was, yeah, it was like, a show to see who, which kids could behave a certain way in this, in this circle. 
And I think my mom wanted to be part of this circle so badly that she, so she could look okay and good towards this. So she could be like this upper echelon type of parent. And this wasn't like an amusement park, big theme, you know, big, huge things that we see all around the world. This was a, a smaller local park, but yes, it was, it was, a. Let's see. It was a popularity contest. Maybe we'll call it that. It was like a popularity contest. In in the strangest of ways, I don't know if I'm off uh, here. Uh, maybe it's your voice who's doing your mom's voice. But in my mind, I think of like Divine from a John Waters movie. Because um, in the early John Waters movies, like uh, Pink Flamingos, um, they use the words like uh, degenerate a lot or um like filthy you know um and like uh so your mom herself uh what was she i mean if you could think of how like uh, i guess she was raised a little or kind of what like um you know her i guess little path in life would was what would you think it where where was it did you know a lot about her you mean like where did she, how did she grow up? Yeah, like how did she grow up, yeah. She grew up, my grandparent, her mom and dad um, were actually, it, it, to me, from what I remember of them, and they've, they've been gone for a long time too, but from what I remember of my grandparents, they were very, uh, they were very loving people. To me, they were. So I don't know what had happened in, in, in her life, but there was something there, I think, from her childhood as she started to grow up that I don't know if she ever thought that she actually reached her full potential. And so she felt like she needed to prove that she had potential through her children and through this marriage she had to my dad, which she would always talk about how much she hated my dad to me, but then they were always together. And so I don't, I think her purpose, she lost it somewhere eons ago and when she when she started to grow into adulthood i mean she had a she used to um date this one guy and this guy broke up with her before she married my dad and i mean i don't know why i mean i guess i could make guesses as to why <laughs> i mean after a, but this this guy just kind of like shut her completely out which i get i mean i had to do that too so i understand that but maybe that was part of it and she felt like she had you know, something with this guy, but it was, it, I don't think she ever found a purpose, but it was always about discipline. It was always about what she could do to make sure her family looked a certain way so that she could fit in with others. And I think, I think this amusement park that we used to go to was a big way for her. And what can, what started to happen was as this place got a little bigger, it eventually closed. But what, it, what happened was it did get a little bit bigger, and those other families were harder to find. Like this show, I think you referred to it as a kind of a showcase or something along those lines you had mentioned. But that's kind of that had kind of started to dissipate. And when that started to happen, she stopped getting us season passes, and it was over. And then I would go by myself. And I, when I would go by myself, I had the best time ever because it was like I was, I was there – and I loved the place so much. Without her, it was a whole different experience for me. 
And I started to feel like I meant something again, like, like I belonged there. And then it closed, <laughs> which stunk, but it closed. But anyway, that was kind of a, one of the biggest, I think, you know, experiences where I was always on, like, on watch. I was always shown, I was always kind of being, and if I didn't want to go on particular rides or if I felt like something would make me sick or something, that was always a, a fight too. It was like, you're a sissy, you can handle this, you know, you can do these things. And it was just lots of shaming, lots of shaming for a long time. But um, as, so then I started to move, you know, into a little more into, you know, kind of going into, I guess, into more of the high school phase of things. Um, oh, and I want to add this as well. Um, I always, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, right? From the beginning of time, <laughs> I always knew I had, a, I loved teaching and um, I, I loved, I don't know, there was always something about speaking, public speaking, you know, be, helping other people that I always had this innate feeling. And so I would, as any kid, I'd be like playing school with my friends or something, you know, a lot of kids do that or whatever. And my mom and dad hated that. So I would take little like pieces of like notebook paper and line them up on the floor in like our basement and pretend like I had rows of students. And so I would like pretend and I would have my friends over. And every time they, they would, one of them, my mom or my dad would swing that basement door open and be like, what the fuck are you doing down there? Is this another game of your Miss Chris? My dad used to call me Miss Chris, P-R-I-S-S, Miss Chris. Another school with Miss Chris. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And again, so then I started to think, well, men can't be teachers or I'm never going to be a teacher. And I used to then tell my mom that my dad would call me Miss Chris. And she would, she would apologize to me for my dad's behavior and then do that same behavior again herself like a week later. And I also want to add that when these instances would happen, like the sunblock and, you know, the stuff, you know, me getting the call from the teacher and she would, as the rage would come, but then what would happen is it would come back as a, she would apologize constantly. I'm so sorry. I've been stressed. My mom worked in like medical field, a medical field for a lot of her life. And I don't mean like doctor, nurse, medical. I mean, she did like, like she would, like if a doctor is dictating something from a page, she would like transcribe it or she would do some other um, like filing work. But it was always in like a medical field. My mom didn't go to college. Um, she just went to high school and then graduated and then met that guy that I mentioned. And then that didn't work. So then she met my dad. To this day, the story about how she met my dad is so inconsistent. I don't even, and I'm not even going to go through all the different options of how they met because I don't know which one is true. So I have no clue even how that even happened, but um, there was always apologies. There was always apologies. So as I'm getting a little older, I started to notice more of my dad getting into these rages as well. So one of the, um, you know, one of the, one of the, the things that would happen is, Oh, well, look, before I go there, let me say one more thing to a, is my mom used to always talk about my dad's family, my dad's mom and dad, my dad's sister and brother, my, you know, the whole, so she would tell me things about my dad's side of the family. Like they always, you know, come over to the house and say, 
you know, poor, poor dad, poor dad, poor dad. He, he works so hard in the garden. He works so hard on the grass. Look at how beautiful this house looks. And I have to give my dad credit. He did do those things. I mean, he did. But my mom hated that they recognized that. Hated it. And I think my dad resented that my mom, I think he knew that she said those things to me. And he constantly took that, took his own problems out on me, which I'll go into in a, in a minute here. But that was another. So when I would visit my dad's side of the family, I always felt like there was an underlying thing. There was something underlying from what I saw. My dad's parents were great. My, all of my grandparents were great people. All four of them. They were great people. I never had any sense of, of, of abuse or, or, or trouble with any of my grandparents. Most of my other family members actually as well. But So I have a one question before you continue. Um, and I sure. apologize for cutting off. Um, when it comes to you, you find solace in these, uh, like you find solace when you're by yourself at the, uh, the, the, uh, park, um, you know, you're good at sports and all of those things. Do you start, uh, creating any, um, you know, uh, you know, daydreams in your mind of what life would be like or anything like that at that age? Do you have anything like that where you lose yourself? Absolutely. Every day, every day. So what did you, what, what, what did, what was your favorite one? Oh my gosh. You know what my favorite one was? I actually thought, I thought about actually moving to Hollywood and being an actor. And I remember this so vividly. I remember going into the bathroom at my house and sitting on the toilet and fantasizing about going to Hollywood and getting on TV. Now, remember, I had that fascination with the TV show, with TV and watching kids on TV. And I even got a chance, I even had a chance to go to uh, to Florida, to the Nick Studios down there, which was a huge thing for me because it felt like I was in there, you know. But as a kid, but so that kind of triggered like, oh, my God, maybe I would do something great in TV or production or and I remember sitting in my bathroom and I remember thinking, I'm going to one day win some type of a, like an Emmy or an Oscar. And I was like, this could be where like this, I could like express myself, my true self through acting, or maybe I'm going to be on a show where I'm educating people. And I could, I, I know I'm going to be good at this one day. And, and I remember thinking to myself, can my parents handle that? Because they didn't support that whatsoever. They didn't support any kind of teaching. I even said, I'd well love to move to Hollywood and be an actor one day. And they, they were like, you're, you, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You're never going to be able to go there on your own. You need us. You need me. My mom specifically, you need me for that. And she would say things like, in one of these days, I'm going to leave. I remember sitting on that same toilet. I remember sitting on that toilet and she was like blow drying my hair. And I was like, do you like my curl? My, my hair is very curly. And she's like, mom, I go, mom, do you like my hair? And she's like, <laughs> she goes, let me tell you something. She goes, this ain't going to get you anywhere in Hollywood. If you think you're going to go to Hollywood. And she goes, and another thing, if I leave it tomorrow and never come back, you'll be sorry. You'll be sorry because then you'll never have your way into Hollywood. So I appreciate you asking me that question because that's a, 
I think, a good example of somewhere where I daydreamed a lot. And what was your favorite or a few favorite Nickelodeon shows? My gosh. Well, the, the, I think the utmost favorite of mine was where it all started was um, you can't do that on television. And I always wanted to be slimed, and I always wanted to watch kids <laughs> get slimed. So if, it's, and, if, um, if this was I can't do that on television, then you would say what to get slimed? I would say I don't know. Perfect. I would say the words I don't know, and I would get slimed. I, I mean, the, just, just to hear you, you, you ask me those questions right now literally fuels the inside of me. Like, I, I, I go back to that just so happy in my soul. That makes me. And when I got to go to Nickelodeon, I actually went with, I didn't go with my parents because my parents would never dare take me on vacation. Dare. Because they were always, I was always, I would, they would tell me I was never, uh, I wouldn't behave. Which I, as I mentioned, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I, even to this day, I follow the rules. As best, I mean, like, to the, to the, to a T. Yes, we all break rules. I've made mistakes. I'll, you know, I'll say a few of those. But my, when I went there, I actually got to be slimed because they had like a part of the tour where you got, you know, you got to go into this like room and you played these games and I got to go and I got slimed. It was the greatest experience of my life. But boy, when I went home, my parents wouldn't even look at the pictures. They thought it was disgusting. I mean, it was, it was tough. Never really in a tough. million years did I think that you can't do that on television would be mentioned on this podcast ever. So thank you. <laughs> and that's and that's from an, a Canadian based show. Oh, yes, it was. I'm almost positive. Oh yeah, Alanis was on that show. Yes, she was. Yeah, I just it was it was the beginning of of a great era of a great 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 and it's still a great company today, Nickelodeon. I love them, but um. Just a big childhood, just a big childhood, big escape for me, as well as this uh, this other amusement park that's gone. So, um, so with the uh, and I thank you for bringing up the Hollywood stuff because again, as I started to get into high school, um, I did I you know I play, I was on track, I did track, and I did some you know some of the like I did I, I played baseball as well, but the biggest things for me in, in high school was drama. So I became part of the drama club and I started to do plays and that did not go over well whatsoever. You know, I was called all kinds of names and I will, uh, I was called one name that I will never, I'm never going to even say it, but it starts with an F and gay people are referred to that a lot. My parents would use that phrase with me a lot. And that was hard especially as I got older, because I started to realize what was happening, not on a, quote, narcissistic level, but I started to realize I was not being treated fairly because my mom couldn't shield everything anymore as much as she used to, because as I was growing older, uh, you know, I was meeting more people. But I, but if I wasn't dating a female, I was in big trouble because my mom would never think or expect that uh, she could have a gay son. Because it's, you know, not, it's 19, whatever, 98, 1999 at this time. And it was, it's just, it was a little different than it is now. And it just was. And maybe not everywhere, but where I was here, it, 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 it was. And so there was always this, that was always in the back of my mind, too, about how, you know, it was, um, it was always, you know, because I was doing drama, 
that correlated to being gay and all gay people do. So it took her and my dad a while to finally accept me doing drama. But I, to this day, I don't believe they accepted it because of me. They accepted it because there were other people, the teachers in my high school, the community in my high school, the people I was around, all were there supporting me. So the group, the group climate was changing around me for the better. But my parents, in order for them not to be seen as, how do I want to say it, less than, or they weren't supporting their kids, they started to come to my place. <clears throat> and so they, I got that, I guess, support. And they would hug me, and, you know, at the theater, they'd hug me and all these things. And then I'll give you another example. So they would hug me and all these things. We had a, I, I did a play. I think it was in my, maybe my freshman year or sophomore year. I, I can't remember, but the play was over. We, we would do like four shows. Like we would do one Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Monday I went to school and then I came home from school and my dad had this like, he had this like home gym thing. And on the home gym, it was like a lat pull down bar. And so he would like pull. Cause now remember my dad's at home. He's still at home working, I guess to find out. Well, we find out later he was not working. There were all kinds of other problems, but he, I went downstairs and he's like, I was like, dad, you know, cause the night before Sunday night, night before it's all hugs and kisses and gratitude for this play. And I go down and I was like, dad, thank you. Cause I didn't, you know, we went home and that was the end. And then I went to bed and got up and went to school. And the next day I came home and I went down to the basement and I said to my dad, I'm like, dad, thank you. Cause I thought, okay, maybe they were changing. Maybe, you know, things, cause that's what you think. You think as you're going along, Hey, my mom's having a rough time. My dad's having a rough time, blah, blah, blah. And I go downstairs and my dad's working on his, like pulling this lap bar down and he's pulling it and pulling it. And I go, dad, I go, um, I go, thank you. I go, thank you so much for like last night. Like it was uh, your, uh, your support like meant a lot. And my dad, I will never, again, never forget this. He like gritted his teeth together and like, it was almost like this evil smile came out and his eyes opened. He grabbed the, the bar, the lap bar that he was pulling out the bar for his lap. He pulled it down, pulled it off the, the, the thing that it was on hooked onto and he swung the, the, the bar at my face and hit me in the face, and I went right down. And he m messed up all my teeth. My teeth got bent and turned and twisted, and he goes, that's what I think about you, you F-word. <laughs> and I, I had no idea what had just happened. Because I'm laying there on the ground. I'm probably 16 years old. And I was, like, dumbfounded. And he just like walked away. And so then here comes my mom and she walks down and she's like crying. I can't believe your father would ever do this to you. And she's like bawling her eyes out. And I looked up at her and it was the first time I actually spoke back to her. And I said, you're just, <laughs> I go, you're just as evil as he is. I said to her. And then, and I don't know why even like how that even happened or where that came from. But I guess that was the moment I realized my parents were kind of evil people. At least to me, they were. Um, and I got up and I left the house. And I did not come back for probably a week.
I was at my, I was at another, so I had been, I started to work then. I was working at a local, like, uh, like a convenience store with a gas station attached <clears throat> and I was working. And so I, this other person who I was working with, I, I called her and I was like, can I please come over? And she was like, yeah, come over. And I told her what happened. And now, mind you, I'm still 16. And my dad had brutally just hit me. I mean, this girl could have, she could have called child protective service. She could have done any of those things. But I think this woman, because these people knew my parents, this local convenience store I was working at, because I lived probably like in walking. I was not liking, I was in walking distance. You could walk there. And they knew them. So they didn't want to rock the boat because my parents had established themselves as people who are going to uphold standards and their children are going to uphold these standards, you know. When you use the word dumbfounded, you know, mm-hmm. is it a replacement for devastated? You just don't, but at the same time, you don't know, you really don't know what's happened. You know, it's terrible, but you're not kind of clued in, in a way like, um, because you know, you, you've left here for a week. And mm-hmm. are you still, are you confused and trying to figure out what's going on? Um, or like, do you know that like when you were 18, you are going to be leaving, you need to get out of there, uh, if not sooner. Um, or are you still confused? Do you still love them at this point or think that you love them, which confuses you more? Oh, I still, I still love them. I definitely still love them. I was devastated. You're right. The, the word devastated, yes, I, I would definitely say was in there. I was dumbfounded and I was devastated. I think there's parts of both of those words, but I still loved them. I thought I did then. That was not the end. That was definitely not the end. Um, because every time something would happen, all the way back to that incident with that kid in the, in the, with the kickball and, the, and pushing me and all that, Ever since all of that, my parents would apologize. They would apologize to me, and they would tell me how wonderful I am. So, you know, they would, they would do all that love bombing. They would, they would go through that whole cycle, hoover me. They would do that. They would hoover me back in. You know, you have a place. We're going to help you. We're going to support you. And, I, you know, I haven't said a lot about that yet as, I, as I'm going, because I think as I was younger, I don't remember – I don't remember like the specific of what they would say, but there was always an apology. There was always something along those lines. A lot of it's gray, but they, they would apologize. But I was, I was getting older. Now I remember, you know, I would remember more of the specifications of what they would say. And I remember being so like, I didn't even think I'm going to move out at that point because I'm still 16 or something. And I just gotten a job. So, and, and of course my mom says, Okay, now that you have this job, we're going to buy your father a new car, and I'm going to give you mine. And I had an old, it was a, it was a 1988 gray view, or a, a, a Oldsmobile is what it was, not a view. It was an Oldsmobile, a gray Oldsmobile. I mean, it was just the oldest car. And, and so when I started to work, I was like, oh, you know, like, I'm, okay, now my parents are going to see that I can do something. And I, and I deserve what I got because maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I'm acting a little too flamboyant and it's still flamboyant or, you know, feminine. And I, and 
while at the same time, I'm, I'm being more interested and interested in men, but I'm still dating women and I feel bad for these girls because I lied to them. I lied to them. I didn't know any better. And I wouldn't dare tell my parents I was like hanging around with guys, uh, you know, behind the scenes, even at, even at the age of 16 and 17. And so when high, when I graduated from high school, you know, everything, I mean, there was, there was, well, let me back up. Let me back up for a minute. That, so I went that week, that week I was gone. I went back, I went back to my, to my house. And of course, you know, there's my parents and they're like, we will never do this again. Like, this is not, you know, your father is having such a hard time. He, you know, is trying to make money. He's angry. You need to understand. We have your best interest. We know, you know, you're, you're working now and on and on. And I mean, so there I was and I was like, okay, well, you know, they're, they have a tough time. So this is the way it is. I'm just going to keep going and keep working. So I'm working and, you know, the people around me at that job that I was at were a little older than me, some of them. So it wasn't really like I made a lot of new friends. Most of my friends were still from school. I graduated and I started to go, I, I started to go into college and I was the first person in either my mom or dad's side of the family of, of all of their siblings. So all of them, none of them had gone to college, nobody. So I was the first person. And that was a big thing for my, my dad. My dad wanted me in college because he needed to, everyone to know. Now, all of a sudden, this, their, their narrative had changed. You know, oh, now he's in school. He's going to be a teacher. My, our son, we're so proud of him. He's going to be the first, you know, teacher of our generation, you know, this, this, his generation. And he's setting the example and he was so proud. So it's my, let me see, my sophomore year of high school, I'm sorry, of college now. And my dad, um, my dad was deteriorating. I mean, he wasn't making any money. He was still at home. The abuse from him kind of, kind of had stopped because I think he was giving up on himself at that point. And so he just kind of wasn't interested in me at all anymore. Um, ever. I mean, so I went through a whole freshman year of college, really nothing major happened there. I mean, there really isn't, I mean, I'm not going to fill it up with something. Nothing major really happened. It was pretty low key, but I was a lot older and I was uh, not at home as much. You know, and so the relationship with my parents, I think they changed their focus to my younger brother, who was at that point in grade school still. But my younger brother was more athletic than me. He loved girls, and I didn't. He loved to be out and about. He was way more social. So I think my parents, from what I saw, never really gave him much of the same abuse that I got because they he conformed a little more to to them. So he was more of the, you know, the phrase we all know, golden child, you know? And so as I grew up and I started to, um, or as I, as I got into college in my sophomore year of college here, I'm, I'm over here and I'm, I'm going And one, one night I, I went home and my dad wasn't there. And I'm like, this is weird. My dad's not, now I'm still living at home. So I'm home and my dad wasn't there. And so my mom's over here like, oh, my God, I don't know where your, where your father is. I don't know where, you know, your father, your father. We haven't, I haven't heard from him, so I try to call. Now we have cell phones by now. <laughs> so now there's cell phones available. So I'm call, I call my dad. No answer. 
it goes straight to voicemail. So I'm like, I don't know what the heck happened to him. My dad used to go gambling a lot. He would gamble. He would, he would um, take trips to do, to play table games and play slot machines. And I always thought, okay, well he's now he's doing better. And I thought maybe he was just gambling. So it's like midnight that night that I've come home that, that night. And my mom's like banging on my bedroom door and she opens the door and she's like, your father's in the hospital. I'm going now. So she goes to the hospital and my dad was there and he was dead. My dad had gone to a local, like, I guess it's, it's like a lake, but it's almost, it's kind of like a, there's like a state park kind of attached to it, but you could go to different parts of this lake. And he went there and he bought, he bought a gun that day and he shot himself at that lake and they found him. Someone found him and took him to the hospital. And when he was at the hospital, he was brain dead. He only lived for a, a little while longer and then he was gone. And so I did not know any of this until my mom had come home. Like it's the middle of the night and she comes home. And of course she's this big, big mess, right? She's crying and screaming and he, how dare he take himself away after everything she's done. And this is what he does to his family. And she should have divorced him years ago and gotten back with that guy. I don't even remember what that guy's name even is. Not that it matters, I guess it's been a long time, but you know, and it was, uh, here's me. Now I'm like, uh, now I'm, I realize I'm like, I'm like, I'm living in a fucked up world. Like this is not normal. This is not normal. And, and I was dating this. Okay. So I was dating this, <laughs> this girl, of course, still, but this guy at the same time, because again, going back to, the, I, I had no idea. I had to make, you know, all of that. And I, you know, this, this, I called the guy. He only lived with his dad, this guy that I was with at a young, you know, I'm in college and I go to his, his house and I am there and I was there with him. And then the aftermath of my dad dying and the funeral and all of the things that happened was very eye opening because everyone that came to the funeral, to the calling hours and to my house, this was the weirdest part. And I actually just realized this about myself, about this incident as I was, you know, reflecting on all this before I, I came to talk to you. Everyone that came to my house would say they were sorry to, to my mom, like just, I'm sorry, mom. And then they would come to me and they would hug me, kiss me. And like, you don't, they would say things like, you don't deserve what's happening to you. You don't deserve this life. And I was, now that I think about it, these people have saw what was going on for all these years. These are not the same people from the old amusement park. These are not the same people from my high school. These are not the same people. These are different people now. These are different people who were in, had come into uh, my, my circle through a, the, the newer job that I had, because I had a different job then, whether it was through the school I was at, the university I was at, whether it was through... The, the, the broadened theater community I had belonged to, broadened sports, all these people were coming. And it was like no one, no one was coming that even like, was like friends with my mom. It was weird and it was shocking. And I think at that point, if I had known about this personality then, the narcissistic personality, I may have said, 
I'm dealing with a narcissistic parent, or I had two narcissistic parents. One of them is now gone, but I'm going to tell you something. The relief, I, this, is, this is a tough thing to say, but I'm going to say it because it's the truth. When my dad died, I was relieved. I was very relieved because I knew I would never be hit over the mouth again. I knew I'd never be called a, a F-A-G-G-O-T again. I knew I'd never be, I knew half of that problem was gone. We came to find out later that my dad had been taking money from everybody who he had been de- dealing with financially, somehow getting into their account, stealing money, taking that money and gambling with it. And no one ever knew. Our house had been uh, foreclosed on. And the, guy, and the day after my dad died, or two days maybe, a guy came to the house to, to tell us to leave the house. And we were essentially like homeless. (laughs) Like, so I had no idea about any of this, but I was at the same time relieved that, that I, um, that he was gone. So I mourned, I guess, the events of my dad dying, but I never mourned him. And I came to realize later that as I, as I grew up, I probably wouldn't have had him in my life anyway, because of that kind of, that was a relationship I never would have been able to repair because of his, his narcissistic personality. But my mom was still alive. And, I, and, and so as we left our house and moved to a different place, I went with her because now the story is my mom needs you. My mom needs you. My, you know, your mom needs you. Your mom needs you. That's the story I'm telling myself in my head, not from other people. These other people came to the house and the funeral and all that and were basically telling me I didn't deserve what had happened. And I had no idea what they meant. You know, at first you think, okay, well, they mean that you're, you know, you, you're, your dad just committed suicide. You have to understand that and you don't deserve that. But as I was thinking more and more, you know, I was like, there's, there's, this life is fucked up. There is just, this is not, I mean, this is just not healthy. And so we moved and I started in, uh, into this. Now I'm in, still in college and I'm, with my mother and with my brother and my mother, you know, goes through the whole, you know, your dad's family is, is a bunch of idiots. They should never, you should never speak to them. They drove him to this suicide. They have put him on a pedestal. He could not handle it. And he had to go. You need to understand that they are no good. And I stupidly, well, I shouldn't say stupidly. I didn't know any better then. I cut them all out. I cut them all out, all of them. My aunts and uncles from that side of the family, cousins, grandparents, gone. The only way I ever reconnected with some of them was later on in social media. And that's how I'm connected now, is through some of them on social media. And they are the nicest people. They are the nicest people to me to this day. And my mom hated that. She hated that I would, ha- would have had anything to do with those people because I think in the back of her mind, she knew that they were actually decent people who didn't really mean any harm. And so my mom continued trying the manip- with the manipulation, the gaslighting. You are, you should never speak to them. Now, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an adult now. You know, I'm, I'm coming up on 21, 22 years old. And I had my first falling out with my mother. I just 
the first falling out was my graduation from college. So I didn't, so I went to graduation, graduated. It was fantastic. My mom never came, never showed up. And she said she was coming. She never showed up. So it's like that afternoon and me and a whole bunch of other people are celebrating and I'm with these friends and I get a call from my mom and I'm like, mom, what happened to you? And she's like, I got stuck. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I don't know if it was a trash. She said something about traffic or something with her car, but it was like, I, I want to make it up to you. I, you know, I want to throw you a party. And I go, you know what? You missed my college graduate. I'm the first, you touted this, the first person of all of this generation to go to college. You missed it. And she's like, you don't understand what I've been going through. You don't understand what your father's death is. This is the man in the grave. This is the man in the grave. I realize now I am doing my mom's voice. (laughs) But she's like, blame the man in the grave. I'm like, mom, this is not to have anything to do with him. This has to do with you. This has to do with you. It's his fault. It's his fault. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm moving out. So I grabbed all my stuff. I went home. She wasn't there. I got all my stuff. And I left. And I got a one-bedroom apartment very close to where I live right now. Actually, it's not far. And I got a one-bedroom apartment. And, of course, probably uh, I would say almost a month went by and I didn't talk to my mom. I get this phone call, and it's from her. And she's like, I want to talk to you. I'm so sorry about your what I did. I have been going through so much since your father died. Now, when I graduated from college, it was 2005. My dad died in 2002, I think. Yeah, 2002. This was three years had gone by. <laughs> three years had gone by. And she's over here still. And she's like, and I'm still going. I go, Mom, I also suffered through that. Remember? Hi, I'm his son. I also suffered through that, that loss. And she's like, well, you're young. You're going to get through it. I have put my whole life into him, and I realize I treat you poorly, and I want to support you in your new venture. Because now, now I had graduated, and I had gotten a, a job as a teacher. I was doing long-term subbing at the time for someone who had been out, and they put me in. So I was teaching full-time. And so I'm in my first job. And she wanted to tell me how much. So, of course, I let her back in. I let her come over. She sees my apartment. I have a cat. Then I get another cat. Then she wants to get two cats. So I go with her, and we get two cats for her house. And so I try to make things better for her. And so she can, you know, now she can heal and recover, and I want to be there for her. But the same cycle. I would go to her house. And she would say, would you take the, would you take the trash out? And I would, I would say, oh, yeah, I'll take it out for you. And so I'd go and take the trash out. And the next time I would go, hey, can you go ahead and cook me something? I'm, I'm so tired. You know, I've been through so much. And I was like, is this normal? But every time I would start to like, like if I would hesitate to answer her, she would go, you know, you, I am your mother. I gave birth to you. You owe me. And no one is ever going to love you like I will. So these are the things you do for your mother. These are the things I've done for my mother. Now, her mother was still alive. (laughs) My grandmother. Still alive at that point. 
And so I would have conversations with my grandmother and my grandfather, her parents. I'd be like, so mom is acting like crazy. And they're like, that's the way she always is. She's just a old style person. I'm like, you guys don't understand. So, and they didn't understand. So I realized at that point, my grandparents could never be a sounding board. So in the, in this stage when this was happening, and now, you know, you're going through this cycle for who knows how many times, and you're in this spot, and your mom says those things to you, where do you go? Are you going straight into guilt, or are you past that and uh, angry? Guilt. Okay. 100% guilt. 100% guilt. I felt so guilty. I felt this woman had her husband... This. this I felt this. I felt like her husband lied to her for years, stole money from her retirement, from my, from uh, money I had coming to me from going to, for going to school, from her, his own mother, from his family member. I thought that she was a victim. And in, and in essence, she kind of was. I mean, he did terrible things. But, but I was so guilty. I felt so guilty. And I felt guilty that I left the house after that hitting me after my dad hit me that I felt guilty about that. I felt guilty that like not helping her with these small tasks, but these small tasks turned into bigger tasks. These small tasks turned into money, wanting money. I need a hundred dollars. I need $300. And if you don't give me this money, I wouldn't be, she wouldn't speak to me for weeks. I remember one week I went hungry because I gave her all the money I had earned in my last check from teaching and I had no food and I thought I was doing the right thing. And this is what you did for your mother. And my mother took gratification in that. She loved it. She thought now I have a son. She was, she was manipulating me. She was absolutely manipulating me every step of the way. Was she working at that point? Oh, absolutely. She was working. Absolutely. She had no reason to have no money. No reason. So I don't know where her money went. I still don't know to this day. But it was all, she was always in, you know, she would always say, I just don't have it or I have these bills. I mean, I don't know where the money went, but can you just, I'm your mother. Can you give me 500 bucks? Can you give me 300 bucks? And it was always like that, always. And it was, it, it became where I thought to myself, I am never going to get ahead. I am never going to get ahead because I have to keep giving her money. So that continued. I taught for a couple years, and then there was not a big demand for teachers as there is now. There was not. This was 2000, I think, seven, eight at this point. There was just not a demand. In this area where I live, there's not, there was not a demand. So I started to look for another job, and I found this, I found this other job, and this new job was a, uh, actually kind of the first job I had that wasn't in the, in the teaching profession, but it was still kind of an entry level, you know, uh, an entry level, uh, kind of a management position, entry level supervisory. It was a, it was a, a, a paper supply company really, you know, there were people there that there were some outside sales reps, there were inside sales reps. There were people who, because I had a, a degree in teaching, it kind of fit the bill for me a bit, so I could kind of move into this new, um, into this new role. And I thought to myself, so, so okay. you felt that um, teaching and managing people was in a strange, not a strange way, but 
similar. You're, you know, you're dealing with people. You're just kind of, um, not that you're grading, but you're, uh, you know, you're, you're diffusing problems. Mm-hmm. And I'm also able to teach through, through, you know, developing people as well. Okay. And so this, this company was a, was a, was a way for me to begin again, if I couldn't stand in front of a classroom of maybe, you know, young adults. I mean, I was a high school teacher, but this was more like, you know, just now we're dealing with regular, you know, we're dealing with adults, but I still, yeah, I still had the ability to, to speak and to, to train and do those types of things and train sales and that kind of, that kind of thing, which, you know, I had been, as I mentioned before, I had been in other jobs, you know, I worked in an electronics store and things like that. So I was able to to do sales there. So it was all kind of a thing. But, but the, but the biggest thing here is my mom was still part of the picture here. Okay. So she's still part of the picture. And as this new job began, um, you know, there was, there were, there were things that I, that I, uh, I, first of all, let me just say when this new job began, I started to feel as though I was starting all over again. I had a new fresh start. Not that, not that the teaching was kind of, bad in any way. And I hate to use the word bad, but there were really no, you know, and where I was teaching, it was a really wonderful community. There were no, you know, there was no, there was, there was nothing. The only struggles I was having was, you know, was with my mom. And so now I'm in this new job and, you know, you go through kind of orientations and you go through, you know, uh, different trainings and you're, you're put into these. So I have these people who are reporting to me and some are, some are, some are physically with me, some are not. And so, um, you know, so you're on the phone or you're on, you know, you're online or you're in per- wherever you are, you know, I have these, these teams of people. And as I began to um, move through after the orientation process, I remember the first time I noticed that something, you know, like kind of looking back on everything, I noticed that something had gone awry uh, or something was awry, or maybe we could call it a red flag was when it was, uh, there was another person who I had, uh, I had been in an orientation with. And in the orientation, this person was just kind of discussing a lot about the company and she had known people in the company and she was saying things about, I mean, just very negative things. And this, this, this paper supply company that I had kind of come into here was a very, was a very open company about how they were very, they wanted it to be very family oriented. They would say it's a family here. We're all family, those kinds of things. And, you know, at, at the time, I now, if I think about that now, if someone were to say now, like, this is a family, that would be a red flag for me because working environments are just not, in, to me, in, this, in the experience I've had and in, and in a lot of people's experiences in my life, they're, it's not necessarily, they're not family, you know. And, and being, and the word, using the word family in that doesn't necessarily mean it's better in, in my experience, you know. Because as we know from the, you know, what I've been talking about so far, family isn't always the, the people you're related to and so on. So It's actually um, interesting you say that because before we stepped onto this call, I don't know where I read it, but I was outside. I, I read it, um, I don't know, it was on, I think, a wall, like a graffiti. It said something along the lines of, um, you know, it, it, don't work as a family work as a team. It was something along those lines. And it was really interesting to me because, you know, uh, with a family, 
you're always um, there's a lot of problems and you you know you're you're tied to them in a way. But in a team, you know, someone is not uh, you know up to snuff or not holding their weight. You know, it's not good for the team, and the team notices that, and they might cut that person loose from the team. There's nothing that's bonding them together in that way because the goal yeah. is to be the best possible. Where the the, the family mentality is is different where if someone is a pretty weak link that person might bring every everyone down um and it's just not the same you you use the word bond and i really like that because i think there's a there yeah there's an impression that because you're in a family you you automatically have these bonds and because no matter what could happen the bond just doesn't get broken but yet it can you know it can because yeah it's so when this company says that, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, this, oh, I got this fresh start. And at this point, things with my mother are still, you know, they're, they're rocky, but I'm going, it's back and forth. We're in this back and forth, you know? So as I'm moving through the ranks, my mom, um, it just so it happened that my mom knew this other gentleman who was working at this same company. They, they knew each other just from the area. And it was odd because I didn't know that. I didn't make that connection. So this gentleman was somebody who always would bounce. He bounced from one department to the next. We'll call him Sam. So Sam bounced from one department to the next. And Sam was generally never happy, but always had this. He was never happy with his, his uh, I guess, his employment status. You know, he didn't like policies and didn't like two things. But so he would bounce around. And I always thought, and my mom would always tell me, that Sam was always treated so badly that he would have to bounce around to find the place that he would fit in the most. Well, so I met Sam through, these, through this company, and Sam had worked in another, another division off to another, up in another, another site with different, in the field and in, in the building or at home, wherever it was, a totally different sector of the company. But that, but Sam wound up wound up working with me because Sam wanted to be somewhere where Sam could be completely able to do whatever he wanted. And I befriended him, looking back stupidly, because there were signs from Sam that Sam and my mother had had this little relationship, not a like a romantic one or any of that, but it was a friendship, and so. Suddenly, my mom kind of became a little more invested in what I was doing at my job. And there was another, uh, another woman um, who was, uh, she was, and I don't know, I don't even remember where she even came from, but she wound up being my boss. And this woman, uh, we'll call her Betsy. Betsy. Um, and Sam also knew each other, which meant that my mom wanted to get involved in that. So now they all know each other. And so Betsy started calling me her bestie. So that's why I thought of the name Betsy. And Betsy used to call me, she'd say, you're my bestie, you're my bestie. And so I'm think, now I'm thinking to myself, here I am. I've got this great guy, Sam, who's working for me. Sam was doing some other things. Uh, he was doing like lead generation. He was doing like uh, uh, pulling, uh, maybe pulling uh, uh, 
customers who had been with us before and then they want, we want to bring them back, stuff like that. So it wasn't like he was directly selling things. He was kind of lead generating things. And then Betsy was there as kind of like this, she had like different, it was me and there were a bunch of other different people that reported to her. And I remember the first sign that Betsy, that there was a problem looking back on on all this was one day I said something to Betsy. I go, is your, uh, I go, these, uh, we've got to pay these, these folks their bonuses. And she literally slammed her hands down onto the computer screen and, and was like, I will, how dare you ask me that? I will pay, get this information and pay the bonuses out when I see fit. And it was so unlike her. It was so unlike her to do that. I've never seen that before. Now that I look back on that, I realized her mask had dropped. Her narcissistic mask dropped. Because at this point, remember, I have no clue what narcissism, narcissists are, who they are. I have no idea. I'm just over here doing the best job I could possibly do. So I'm telling this to my mom. My mom and I are kind of on good terms, and my mom starts. Well, maybe you should be a little nicer. Well, maybe you should. And again, there it, goes, there it is again. I should be a little nicer. I should be a little, you know, a little more. I should, my stand, that was another one. My standards are too high. I used to be told that constantly. Your standards are too high. Your standards are just way too high. And as I got, as I got to the tail end, I'll tell you how this all ended. So the, the, the final stage, the final uh, uh, what, what word could I use? The final straw. breaking point with my mom. The final straw. Thank you. The final straw. My mom. Uh, I. I. We had had another a fight about money, and I think I had talked about that. We had talked. You know, my mom used to always want money, and we talked about that. And um, I had said no to money, and and then she just shut me off again. And she showed up one of our uh, places where we produced things. It was, it was like a plant. She showed up there in the parking lot. And I was there. Betsy was there. Everybody was there. And she's telling everybody, she's like, I can't. Uh, she's like, this, my son won't even pick up that phone to call his own mother. And, and, I'm glad that she likes all of you more than she likes me or more than he likes me. And everybody's like done. Like now remember only a few of them that the male, the male coworker that I described before who was bouncing around, who's now working for me, he's there. And Betsy is there. Now they know my mom. And so they're just like looking at her, looking at me. And my mom's like, and my mom's like, and, and I am, so done with you and I'm so and I was so embarrassed and so you know that that male co-worker and uh, and Betsy were like it's okay you know everything's gonna be fine your mom's crazy we've known her we blah 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 and I and I if I remember correctly I think I sent my mom a message like the next day and I said that don't ever, don't ever contact me again. Like don't ever contact me again. And that was honestly the final straw where it was like, I am completely done. There was, there was actually only one other interaction. I think I, yes, there was only one other interaction I had with my mom and it was after 
this job had ended, and so I'll come back to that, but it was a very quick interaction. But I'll come back to that in a minute. So now my mom's out of the picture, and it was, and she was completely out of the picture. Probably another six months or so had gone by, and now we're reaching the end of my employment there. And now Betsy is no longer involved where I am. She now becomes a, a person who's involved in human resources. So I get a phone call one day from this Betsy. Now, mind you, Betsy was always someone who, when she was my boss, had always said to me that she could not stand people in human resources, how they were very, you know, manipulative and she didn't trust them. So if I ever needed her to stand by me, if something was going on, that she would. And I'm like, what would would I need to stand by? Like, what would you need to stand by me? I I do what I'm supposed to do. I follow the rules. I, I mentioned that before. I'm a rule follower. I just do what I'm supposed to do. And she said, so now she's there in this, in this human resources position of some kind. So she's there. And so now this phone call comes, and it's, and it's her, and it's this other woman and this other man, and they're all in this room, and, they're, and they call me. I don't know who these other people are, but they call me. And they're asking me questions, and they're like, we've had some complaints. And I'm like, what complaints have you had? So now I'm back to this. My stomach drops. I'm like, what could I have done now? I'm just going about my life here. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I had had, and I want to add, through this career at this company, I have never, I never had a formal discipline. There was nothing, nothing. Never been like written up or, 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 or formally, nothing was ever formally, formally documented, nothing. I had never been put on any kind of warning. My, my, I was getting raises. I mean, I, I, they were giving me awards. I mean, it was like, there, it was like, a, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a, a pair like there was one side and then there was this other side. And I'm like, what is going on here? Why in the world would I, a young, at this point, probably 30 year old, 32 year old guy, why in the world would I break a rule? Because I was scared to fucking death all the time. Let's remember my mom, my dad physically abused me. If I said one word that was out of, why in the world in a corporate setting would I do something to bring that on my, I would never do something. I'm afraid, right? I'm scared as fuck there. So model, yeah, I, I won awards. I had, you know, sales team of the year, you know, inside reps of the summer, you know, just whatever, these different things. Okay. One time I won a, I won a, a something with a, with a, uh, it was a, like a, like a travel voucher. I mean, for my, my hard work. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful. Now I get this phone call. So I get this phone call and I'm in, I'm, I'm sitting there and actually I was at home when I got this phone call. I'm at home and this phone call comes and I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. And so they're asking, they're saying, they're, they're asking me these questions out of the blue. They're like, did you, we have these complaints. And I'm like, what are the complaints? And they're like, well, we, we have complaints that you are favoring people. And I'm like, well, can you be specific? And they were like, well, did you ask this person to do this particular task over this other person? And I said, absolutely, because person A will perform. And at that, I, 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 I tried to match the skills, you know, where they would go. So I said, person A will do good here. Person B will do good here. And they were like, well, we have a lot of concerns because we feel as though there is favoritism going on. And I'm like, well, can you be more specific about favoritism? And they're like, well, the way that you treat 
the males is different than the females. And then I'm like, what do you mean? And, you know, they're like, well, we just, we have these concerns. So what we're going to do is we're going to conduct an internal investigation. And so I thought to myself, oh my God. So I call my boss, who is it? This is a different person. I've never mentioned this person yet. And I call my current boss. And I tell my current boss, I say to her, this is the female, I say, I just got this notice from HR, people from HR calling me, what is going on? And this boss tells me, she goes, well, I don't have any idea when, if I call them, they're not going to tell me anything. I'm like, how would you not know if you're my direct, if I'm your direct report, what's the, like, why? What's well, confidentiality? I'm like, that has nothing. If there's something going on with my performance, you should know about it, boss, so-and-so. And she's, and so she's like, well, I don't. And so that I knew at that point, I was like, something is, is going on. Probably three days later, Betsy and two other people showed up in the location I was at. I was working at a remote location. And they said, we are, um, we want you to sit down. We, this is not going to be an easy conversation. Um, this is your final day with us. And I go, what are you talking about? And they're like, we've had some complaints. Again, they use that same word. We've had some complaints. And I said, I really would like, so now I'm getting angry because I literally have been pushed down through this investigation I had no idea about. We've had these complaints. And so I said, what, what, what are these complaints? And they're like, you're, you are treating certain people differently than you're treating others. And because of that, we are finding, we are being told that there could be some inappropriate relationship going on with you and either peers or subordinates. And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. I have never had any inappropriate relationship. Remember, I am this, I am, why would I do something? I'm afraid. I'm, I'm a scared guy. I would never do something like that. And not only that, I was dating someone at the time. I was dating this, 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 this guy. It just didn't, later, later it didn't work out, but I was dating that. I mean, like, why would I do that? So they provided me with no examples of anything. And I don't have proof of this, but I believe that my mom was involved. Because remember, my mom and I had had that horrible falling out the day after the parking lot incident. And now remember, Betsy was connected to my mom as well. So my mom is still there infiltrating things. Why this particular company would even go that route, I don't really have proof of that. But in my gut, there was, there was something going on there. So I was literally let go, let go without even knowing like what specifically who I specifically had. They were saying I had any kind of relationship with or who I was favoring or who not. And they said to me, um, they said specifically said that day, they go, you can collect unemployment too. We'll, we'll go ahead and pay you your unemployment. So here I am 12 years, 13 years, however long I was there. I'm going on and I'm filling out unemployment, never done it in my whole life. It gets denied. So now here I am, no money, I get, it gets denied. So I file an appeal, which I know in most states you could do. And so they come back, this company comes back with, we're not giving it to you, we want to go to a hearing. Like, what? So I had to go to this hearing, and I'm at this hearing, and this is the first time I find out the details of why, of what had happened in that investigation. And in this investigation, this gentleman from before had said how 
But now remember, this person had jumped around from place to place to place to place. So now it's my turn to be the victim. So this person, this gentleman went to Bessie and HR and all these other folks and said I was favoring people. And they showed a picture at this unemployment hearing of me. And so there's like a local uh, local spot that you could go to that's got this like, let's, uh, it's like a, it's a big restaurant, but it's got a very long bar and it has tables everywhere. And I'm there with my dude, this dude that I was dating. I'm there with him. And someone took a picture of me, of me at this restaurant, but then like down the other side of the restaurant, you see a few other people who were, who were, who had worked for me, who had worked for me and who currently you see them down at the other end. But what they had done was they had cropped out everybody else except for me and one or, or maybe two. I think it might have been two other people. So they used that and said, well, you clearly he's out with these people. Now, mind you, I want to repeat, I, I am living and in, in working in a, and it's, it's not a huge town. So you could walk into the grocery store and run into somebody. And so that doesn't mean you take a picture of them with the other person. And they're suddenly in a relationship. They had cro- so I go, oh, I have this. So I'm sitting there. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm sick to my stomach because this is all just coming out. I had never heard any of these details. I pull up. I had that. I had a picture of the same night. It was the same night. Uh, someone had taken of me and my at the time boyfriend, and there's so it. You could see that I was with my boyfriend, and they had someone else had taken another picture of me at that same spot and cropped, and it got to that HR department. They cropped it out to make it look like I was involved, and the. A uh, person who runs the unemployment said, well, it, this doesn't show us anything. He, he, he gets it. And so I got, I got the, the payment. And it was, it was the first, but do you know, Brandon, I still felt guilty. I felt guilty. I felt as though I felt like I was literally at fault for putting this company and these other people around me and even my own mother who I knew was involved I felt guilty that I had done something did I say something to someone that would make them think I was having did I flirt and was I did I accidentally flirt did I accidentally say something that someone would misconstrue like and it was bad it was really rough and I probably spent five months in depression and not working, not doing anything. My mom. Okay. So this is where we get to my mom. So now my mom shows up at my house. I haven't spoken to her since that whole incident with the parking lot. And I open the door. I go, don't you ever come back here again? She's like, those people, I want to, I want to, I want to reconcile with you. Those people don't know, know you. And, and I'm like, please leave. Like, you need to leave because this is it. And that was, the la- that was the last time I ever saw or spoke to her was then, was that day. That was it. There was never a time after that. I think I may have to be, well, I may have seen her somewhere, like, way off in the distance, but I didn't say anything somewhere, like, publicly. But I've never had a conversation with her since. And so after that, uh, 
did you go uh, straight into looking for answers or healing, and where did you end up? Nope, didn't do anything. No healing, no answers, no nothing. Not not at the beginning. Um, and then I had a, I had another friend who, um, well, I wound up getting another job. So I get a, I get another job, and I start working at this other job. And unfortunately, this new job that I worked for, they were wonderful. But I went in thinking, oh, it's a whole nother, you know, thing. And I get this new job, but unfortunately, this new job had down started to downsize, and they let a lot of people go. So I was one of them. I hadn't been there that long. It was only after then, that that other job, that I realized that I had to do something because I was literally near the point of like suicidal like thought. Like I'm never gonna, I'm never going to amount to anything. I keep getting, and not not that this the very most recent company. I mean, they just downsized. That's all that happened. I mean, it's just what it was. This other friend, so going back to this other friend, she says, have you ever done yoga before? And I'm like, yeah, I've done it like three or four times, but I don't know anything about it. I don't, you know, I'm not flexible. I don't, you know, that's because that's what you always hear. I'm not flexible. And she's like, well, why don't you come with me? And so I went to this, to this local yoga studio. And the first class I ever took, I felt like I was going to die. I mean, it was like a, it was like an all levels, what we would consider calling it an all levels class. So it was very, um, it was very, uh, very tuned to beginners. And I was like, I'm going to die. But there was something about that place. I wanted to go back and I went back and I went back and I went back. And one day, um, I met the owner and the owner, uh, teaches there too. You know, she teaches and I met her and I, and I, one day it was like after one of her classes, I was like, Hey, I was like, like, I just want to like, this place is so healing. And she was like, thank you so much. And um, she was like, your practice is, is beautiful. And I was like, what? Now I didn't know she was the owner, but she had said that she was the owner then. And I was like, what? And so it, it literally, that moment, like, changed my life. And I kept going. And then there's another, there was another, te- there's another teacher. Um, she's what we would call, like, a master teacher. She's been teaching for a very, very long time. And she said to me one time, did you ever think about going through teacher training? And I was like, me? A teacher? That's what I've always wanted to be. And she said to me, this, this, this master teacher, she goes, you, there's something about you. There's something about you. And I was like, oh, my God. Now, mind you, I was still cautionary because all these people in my past had lured me in. But I don't know. I felt differently with these, specifically these two ladies who were just magnificent, the owner and this master teacher. And so I went through the teacher training. And we actually went through the teacher training before the pandemic started. And we had to finish it during the pandemic. But... I cannot tell you how freeing yoga has been. Not only is the practice itself freeing, but that community that that owner has built, incredible. And it wasn't until through my practice and through some other interactions and other things that have happened just with other groups and things, 
uh, and it was a friend who actually went through teacher training with me, and I may, need to make sure this is this is this was a big big turning point to realizing that word narcissist. She came over and did a Reiki session with me. She was lining. She, you're laying there, and she's working on you know she's doing whatever she needs to do. I'm not that familiar with Reiki, but she's wonderful. And at the end, she says, "I want to tell you what I saw." She's like, "You were standing outside of your you're standing outside of your heart." Like, what? She's like, you're standing outside of your heart. Why are you standing outside of your heart? Now, this friend of mine, she knows, she isn't, she knows about the things that had happened in my history because we went through training together, and I told her about those things. And she used the word narcissist. She goes, I think that there are still narcissists in your life that you need to let go of. And there were many of them. People are all around me. And it was then that I looked up on YouTube what it was a narcissist. How do they operate? And as I started watching YouTube and as I started reading, as I started coming on to things like this podcast, hearing other people speak, I realized all my life from, from my poisonous mother all the way through the people through that job, people, you know, just all the way up, I had had, I kept attracting people because I, I, I didn't know anybody. I couldn't stand up for myself. And now through my practice, through my yoga practice, through my teaching, now I'm a yoga teacher, and it's my full-time job. I teach full-time, and I, I don't even know. There's no words to express what, first of all, for my friend, to use that word narcissist and allow me to get into some help and figure things out, to now where that, that owner and some others and that teacher I mentioned I, if I need something, I can turn. There has never been something that, that, that they have done, that they have said or anyone around me now says that makes me feel less than my value. My opinions are valued. My, my, my presence is valued. I just feel like it wound up coming full circle. I'm teaching. I've always wanted to teach. You know, I talk about, I talked about being in Hollywood while teaching yoga is not being in Hollywood. I get to be funny. I get to, I get to tell jokes when I'm teaching. I get to express myself pure and naturally. And I'm, and I'm able to do so by the grace of these beautiful people in this community. The people who I, I, I am I'm surrounded by now are just the, I, they're just, they're unbelievable. And that's where I believe that um, now I can make the most difference telling my story knowing that there, it might not be yoga for everyone. It won't be yoga for everyone. It will be something, but there is a way out somehow if we just listen. If, and if somehow I find, and finding my way, finding my way to that, to that local place has, has allowed me to come full circle. And, you know, everything that you wanted in your whole entire life is now here in this place. And it's been this healing aspect that you didn't see coming. And, you know, for others that might be going through the exact same thing, what, uh, you know, you've got your healing your way. What are some words of wisdom or advice that you have for others that are, that are going through it too? Well, I think that my words would be to pause pause and listen to what you listen to your listen to what your your inner being is telling you 
Because if we listen deep enough, we will hear the answers. We just have to listen. But I think we get caught up in, we just get caught up because that's the nature of being a human. We get caught up in things. But listen, because there is a way out. If it's not, I mean, go back and listen to stories from this podcast. Listen to survivors. Do some research. Read a book that might that might be from someone who's, I don't know, whatever whatever it is that could give you a little more insight, know that you're not alone, number one. You're not alone in this. There are people, there are zillions of survivors out there, and you're not, there is a place where you could be. And I want to add this. Now that I'm in this place, uh, I guess spiritually or within myself, it can take me to, because I know that physically I won't stay where I physically am, like physically living. I won't stay here maybe for another year at the most. I'll probably live here. But it's going to be time to go reinvent myself and start all over again. And I want to say, and not start all over again, but take the, take the wonderful yoga that I have now with me because that community is coming. With, it goes with you. You just take all that with you, all that energy. Know that you can take it with you. Know that you can take your peace with you wherever you need to go and that it's okay, but there is a way out. There's no need to walk around dead, like being, walk around alive, but actually dead inside. There's no need for that. And it can be done. And it's hard, but it can be done. Well, thank you for those words of wisdom. And um, hey, Greg. Yes. Do you know what I have to do tonight? Oh, okay. So, okay, ask me again. I know where you're going. Hey, Greg, do you know what I have to do tonight? I don't know. (laughs) You just got slimed. I just got slimed. Oh, my gosh. That takes me so back. Oh, it lights up my soul. Thank you for that. <laughs> I almost so, feel that warmth because, you know, as I mentioned, I got slimed for real, and you feel like it's warm and gooey. I can feel it. Oh, thank you for that. I got, I it, que- it. I got it queued up just for you. So thank I really just want to say, you know, thank you for, for being here and sharing your story. You know, you went through a lot with your mom your whole entire life, and you know, you, you got through to, to this point and you found, um, miraculously, you know, you stumbled into your, uh, gift, the thing you were always meant to be something that is healing for you and your soul, but it also can be your line of work. And that's a gift. You know, it might take, it might've taken you a long time to get here to that gift. But you you got there. It's where you were meant to be, always meant to be. And it's not just, um, you know, uh, a way for you to heal. It's not just for you to help heal other people. It's a way of life. And your life is now all about, you know, um, kind of circular. It's circular in flow and in, and in motion and energy and bringing goodness to people and bringing light to people. And you are now going to be that light for people. You found your way here. You've opened it up and you know, you're going to be, you're good. 
you know, you probably have some other stuff you're going to be working on, but you got to yeah. this point. Your foot is through that door. That door is open and the sun is shining in on you. And now it's, you know, you're, 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 you're where you need to be. And I just want to thank you for, you know, uh, being here and telling your story because, you know, not a lot of people have as uplifting end and an end kind of to the story, even though it's just the beginning for you. But, you know, for a lot yeah. of people out there, there's hope and you're, you're a symbol of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Big time. Thank you. And for everyone else who is listening from Greg and I, I hope you have a good night.